So, um, we've had our well-being series, and now we're kind of looking over these next few weeks, some close encounters that particularly the uh, apostle people, the disciple Peter had with Jesus. And, um, of course, he had many uh, encounters, and we're called Encounter Church. And sometimes we can limit what encountering Jesus um, might mean or entail. And uh, there's a lot of good things that we've experienced. But we're going to look over these next few weeks uh, sometimes on some of these close encounters that Peter had with Jesus. Now, let me ask this question about yourself. Would you see yourself, this is rhetorical, you don't have to answer, a spontaneous person who tendency just prefers to go with the flow, you prefer to be spontaneous, you don't want a predictable day, or are you a person that prefers routine, things to be consistent, things to be uh, predictable? I'm not going to ask you the question, but on Friday, I couldn't believe how predictable I had become. Because I thought on the way to the office on Friday morning, I would pop into uh, Costa, you know, the um, Sainsbury's big shopping centre, pick up a Costa on my way to work. Uh, He's got to Friday, need to keep myself awake. And so as I walked into the Costa, walked up to the till, and I thought she was going to say, what would you like, sir? She didn't. She says, that'll be £3.10, please. And what had happened is, is that they'd saw me park my car, walk towards Costa. By the time I got to the till, the amount was on to pay, and my coffee was ready. <laughs> I mean, how predictable is that? I said, didn't know exactly what I wanted. So, so we really appreciate those who make tea and coffee on a Sunday morning, don't we? They do a great job for it. Just to help you, I like filter coffee, milk one sugar, with no chocolate on. So if you see me coming, I am very predictable. I am very predictable. That's what I like. Now we appreciate you doing that. Now Peter following the Lord Jesus, I'm sure there were things that were amazingly consistent. The predictability of Jesus wanting to go away and pray and be with his father, predictability of how Jesus treated them. But there are some things that were so adventurous, they were so out there that they didn't uh, expect. And we're going to pick up on one such encounter this morning that was a, a big surprise. It was wonderful, but also uncomfortable. And how many of you know that sometimes God's allowed things to be a little bit uncomfortable for us in order for us to learn something and to grow? And so we're going to pick it up from John chapter 13. Going to read uh, the, the account for a few verses, 1 to 17 of John chapter 13. I'm sure it will come up on the screen. The team did very well on that. So, John chapter 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. 
So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you will have no part with me. Then Lord Simon replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, A person who's had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that is why he said not every one of you was clean. So when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he said. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, the Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that I have shown you these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. I love this passage. Of scripture. I can't read this without getting something new uh, out of it, but I'm not going to share everything that I've learned from it, but one or two things. So this was a very unique encounter. So even the kind of predictability and unpredictability of following Jesus, this was a little bit out there. Nobody does this, never mind the Lord. For what purpose did Jesus do it? Well, let me pick out three um, clear points. Because at the end, after he'd done it, He says, I've set you an example that you should do as I have done. So very clearly, Jesus is saying, I'm setting you an example here. Now, good practices and bad practices tend to be, as they say, caught rather than taught. You kind of pick up bad habits often by people that you are with and pick up good habits from people that you're with or good examples. And that's why I find it a little bit disconcerting at times when I see one of my children who are grown up now follow a particular trait that I think they got that from me. They do that because I do it. They're a little bit sarcastic here and there, which you've never noticed that in me. I know that. But when I hear them being a little bit sarcastic, I think I know exactly where they got that from. Now, Wendy, it's not your fault. <laughs> it's my fault. As I say, like father, like son, they pick up so many good habits from Wendy. But there's times when I pick up. Now, all parents wish they could go back and kind of start again a little bit and think, okay, I'll do things, I'll do something slightly differently. But things are caught rather than taught. And Jesus is setting them this example, this trait that he wanted them um, to follow. Now, I don't know about you, but as a young Christian, I picked up some great things from people that have been Christians slightly longer than me. Some great things. I wasn't brought up to go to church. Uh, Maybe I'll share my testimony next week when we've got the baptism service or another time. 
But when I became a Christian, I, I didn't know what you're supposed to do. But being really close to some people that were good followers of Jesus, that were a bit older than me, I caught some great things. I, I caught a little bit how to be a personal witness by just picking up their passion for other people uh, to know Jesus. I'd learned how to kind of get into read the Bible daily, not because I was with them in the morning when they did it, but by being close enough to know that that's what they did. Because they talked about it, it was clear. I picked up a lot about praying by being close to people who didn't just simply pray at the front, but I, I, I was with them when they prayed. And I remember the time when I was asked to pray out loud for the first time. That's a big thing. It was a big thing for me to pray out loud at the age of 16. And we was on a kind of a youth holiday. The youth leaders were there in the caravans at the evening meal. Um, somebody was expected to say grace. But they didn't just pray for what we are about to receive. May the Lord make us truly thankful. They prayed for everything. They thanked God for everything during the day. And I knew on this particular night, I was going to have to say grace. I was so nervous. I was so nervous that my friends thought that it was really funny. So they lay under the caravan. They were in the other caravan just to hear me pray nervously. The first time that I prayed aloud. But by being amongst them, I learned how to pray. I learned about tithing and giving. Not because I actually, I just saw, I was with people. Who set that example, who wanted to serve. And Jesus here, you know, he got so close to them. He allowed them to get so close to him that they could pick up this example in order for them to follow. It's a privileged position. Now, we really advocate in this church that we, we come together as a whole church on a Sunday morning. And then we also gather on other occasions, often midweek, to share fellowship with each other. And I've, I've heard people in the past, not this church, Say, well, you know, I've been a Christian a long time. I don't need it. Well, let me say this. You know, in the Bible, in the New Testament, over 50 times it says one another. We're not going to grow without one another. And the Apostle Paul picks that up. He mentions it about 50 times. One another. And let me say this. We're not going to grow unless we're close to other people that we're helping to grow. We're not going to grow unless we do that. So important that we get close, that we, we, we pick up things from each other and we're close enough to people that they can pick up things from us. I'm so appreciative that those who set this example for me when I was a young Christian didn't think, I don't need this. Because they knew that they were growing by passing on and setting this example as well. You see, Jesus, the amazing thing about, you know, Jesus coming to the earth physically, the amazing thing about him washing their feet is that literally he was in touching distance of them. The word becomes flesh, dwelt amongst us full of grace and truth. This close proximity, this example is so important. So Jesus sets this amazing example. Secondly, he's preparing them for leadership. He's preparing the 12 or 11 of them for leadership. And Jesus is demonstrating of what kind of leadership is required from the servant king himself. And he washes Peter's feet as he does the others. Now this is important for Peter because Jesus says, didn't he, to Peter, that on this rock, 
I will build my church. And, and Peter and the rest of them needed to have an understanding of the kind of leadership that Jesus was expecting. He was giving them this example. Now, Peter, as a leader, you know, we might think, oh, Peter, you know, he's probably the most prominent leader. Life for him, from that point on, when Jesus appointed him, was going to be easy. Not at all. I mean, Peter had all kinds of challenges, didn't he? There was, there was persecution, there was opposition, and even amongst other believers, there was disagreements. Even amongst the other apostles, wonderful as they were, they didn't agree on, on everything. You might think that church leaders agree on everything. But it doesn't happen that way. It doesn't happen that way. And Peter needed to understand the kind of key leader that he was going to be. And there was disagreements in the early church. And uh, Paul is, is really good on this. And, and uh, in 1 Corinthians, he challenges the Corinthians, doesn't he? Paul does. He says, some of you say, well, I just follow Apollos. I just follow what he thinks. Or I just follow James, um, what he thinks. He was an apostle. I just follow Cephas, which is, who is Peter, what he thinks. Some people say, I just follow Paul and what he thinks. Some people, he says, you say, well, I just follow Jesus, which sounds fine. But what they're saying is, I'm just going to do what I want to do. I'm not going to follow the example and the teaching of anybody. And, and Paul says, are you not acting like mere men when you do that, when you let things to be divided? So there was this dispute in the early church that people who were non-Jews, Gentiles, were becoming Christians outside of Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, it was mainly Jews. So the dis- one dispute was, well, okay, these non-Jews that are becoming Christians, should they follow some of the Old Testament law? Should they get circumcised? So some in Jerusalem thought they should. Some outside of Jerusalem, like Peter, thought that it wouldn't be on God's agenda for new believers to be circumcised. I have to say, I'm 1,000% with Peter. 1,000% I'm with Peter that you don't need to be circumcised to become a Christian. But there was disputes even in the early church. And, and Jesus was saying, even where there's disagreements, I want you to be servants of each other. You have to serve each other. Even when there's opposition, even when there's disagreements, this, you, this is the kind of leader that I am looking for. And Jesus washes their feet. What, what leader does that? What leader does that? Nobody up to that point would have done that. Now, sometimes when preachers kind of get up and leaders preach about washing people's feet, I know that people can sit in the congregation feeling a bit nervous. Is he going to wash our feet? Let's get this clear. No. The closest I've got to washing people's feet is buying Wendy a foot spa at Christmas. And she only used it twice. And it ended up in the, it went to a kind of a car boot sale, I think. It just sat on her wardrobe. They're so useless, it now sits on somebody else's wardrobe, I'm sure. But who would do that? Nobody back then would have done it. That's why this stands out. That's why we read about it 2,000 years later. Nobody would have done that. 
Their feet would have been filthy. People would have had to wash their own feet. If a servant washed their feet, it would be somebody who was a real low-grade servant, less than minimum wage. Nobody does that. But Jesus says, I have set you an example to do what I have done. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master. And Jesus says, you will never be greater than me. You will never be greater than me, but I am prepared to wash your feet. And you'll be blessed if you do these things. You see, anybody, anybody, not even just in church leadership, biblically, the Bible's so good on leadership. Any sense of responsibility, status, position that we have been given, we need to recognize we're on holy ground. We're on holy ground. You see, I love it when, you know, Moses encountered uh, God at the burning bush before he was going to lead Israel out of, the people of Israel out of Egypt. What did God say? Take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. When Joshua was going to finally, after 40 years, lead them into the promised land and they were going to confront Jericho. You know, Joshua says, Lord, how are we going to do this? Well, first thing God says is take off your shoes. You're leading these people. You're on holy ground. Any sense of responsibility that God gives us, we're on holy ground. If we're in management within an organization, we're on holy ground. If we lead people, we're we're on holy ground. If it's church leadership, we're on holy ground. If we're parents, we're on holy ground. We're on holy ground. I remember Dr. Tony Campolo challenging parents. I can't remember what the session was. He's a key leader in America. and I can't remember what the session was on. But he says, so often you as parents, and I'm, I squirmed at this, he says, when your kids are grown up a little bit and you have a bit of a dispute, he says, what you fall back on is you say, after all I've done for you. You know, I've changed your nappies, you've fed you, bought these, given you lifts everywhere, after all I've done for you. And he was saying, and I was squirmed, he says, don't do that. Because if you have children, that's the basic requirement. If you can have children, that's the basic thing. You know, we're on holy ground. We serve. Whether we're Christians or not, we, we serve. Any sense of... Now, I'm not trying to make people feel guilty here. It's just the point. Any sense of responsibility. Jesus is saying, I've set an example. Be a servant. Even if you disagree... Serve those that are around. Your attitude be the same as Christ Jesus, who being the very nature God, made himself nothing, taking on the very nature, na- nature of a servant. So Jesus sets an example. He prepares them for leadership. He, he prepares them for any level of responsibility that they might have. And thirdly, it's clear, it, he does it to demonstrate his love. Now this might seem quite strange. Because he says, having loved his own, who were in the world, the disciples, he now shows them the full extent of his love by washing their feet. Now you think, Jesus might have chosen a different way. But to demonstrate the full extent of his love, he chooses to wash their feet. Up very close and personal. But Peter has a problem with Jesus washing his feet. Simon Peter said this, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash your feet, 
you will have no part with me. This is a powerful conversation going on here. And I'm not too sure what the Lord really is saying here. I think I understand some of it. I, I, I think some of what the Lord is saying, Peter, if you are not prepared to receive from me, how is this going to continue? You know, how is this relationship going to work out? I mean, if you don't let me bring the full extent of my love, how is this relationship going to go forward? How is my purpose going to be fulfilled if you don't receive from me? Without me, you can do nothing. So unless I wash your feet, how is this? You know, how, if I can't minister to you in this personal, intimate way, if I can't demonstrate my love to you in the way that I think is important, how is this going to move forward? How is this going to work out? And some people are very self-sufficient. Some people are very proud, um, self-made. People like to say, well, I did this all by myself. But it doesn't work that way in the Christian world. We have to receive from other believers. We have to. We have to receive from Jesus himself. Then Peter says, Lord, not just my feet then, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus replied, he says, a person who has had a bath only needs to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. You are clean. You just need me to wash your feet because you're already clean. But there are times when there are areas of our lives when I believe that Jesus wants to demonstrate the full extent of his love. Something has happened. We need to receive his love concerning this thing and sometimes to cleanse us and bring forgiveness to particular area. Now this is why baptism is really good. Because baptism reminds us that we are clean. That we do belong to him. That can never be taken away. God's perspective is we are in him. We are clean. I like Nicky Gumbel's example, you know, on Alpha. And he holds up a book. I have got a piece of paper here. And he says, you know, Jesus is the righteous, his fullness of righteous. And we're like a piece of paper and we have no righteousness of our own. And then he takes it and he puts the piece of paper in the book, closes it and says, Jesus is the righteous one. We are in him. We are in him, if you get the uh, analogy. And he's saying, Peter, you're in me. You are clean. Baptism reminds us of that, which is why it's one of the reasons that it's helpful. But Peter says, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, you don't understand what I'm doing now. A little bit later, you will understand. A little bit later, Peter understood. Because Peter belongs to Jesus. And then he denies Jesus in the most spectacular of fashions. When Jesus was being whipped in the courtyard... Before he goes to the cross, Jesus, uh, Peter denies that he knows Jesus three times and he even says, I swear that I don't know him. He even said, pull down curses upon himself to say that I don't know Jesus. After the cock crows twice, he says, Peter goes out and he's devastated and he weeps bitterly of letting Jesus down. I don't know about you, 
Certainly in my earlier years of being a Christian, there's times when I felt I've blown it. I've let Jesus down so badly. It's interesting when you're a young Christian and uh, people around you are not Christians, often people will say, oh, call yourself a Christian. And you do that. It hurts. It hurts. Because you want to do it well. You want to be a witness. But there's times when things happen when we think that we've blown it. And, and Peter, he felt this. He thought it was all over. Jesus says, you do not realize what I'm doing now when he washes his feet. But later you will understand. You are clean. But there are times when you will need to receive the full extent of my love. And for me to wash your feet. Again, figuratively speaking. And that was the case for Peter. Peter, there'll be times when you'll need me to demonstrate the full extent of my love. There'll be times when you'll need me to wash your feet. And I'm sure that when uh, Peter was devastated and thought it was all over, when Peter very gently, as Andy spoke on last week, on the beach around Galilee, cooks him breakfast, says to Peter three times, doesn't he, do you love me? Three times, Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. Three times, Jesus says, well, feed my sheep. You deny me three times. I know that you love me. Peter, this is not all over. Let's get going again. Let me wash your feet. Let me demonstrate the full extent of my love for you. You see, interesting, isn't it, that Jesus says, unless I wash your feet, you will have no part with me. And I I don't want to kind of speculate everything here because, you know, I want to stay accurate. It's the Bible, after all. It's very important. But I wonder whether if this had not come out and been dealt with, with Peter and reinstated after denying Jesus so badly, I wonder whether he would have been in the upper room at Pentecost. I wonder whether he would have been there. I wonder whether he would have gone on to minister in all the ways that God wanted him to minister. You see, Peter thought he had blown it, yet... He was there in the upper room with the 120 leading them and they're baptizing the Holy Spirit. That day, Peter preaches 3,000 people become Christians. God uses Peter so much through the power of the Holy Spirit in praying for people to be healed that when Peter was walking through Jerusalem, people would bring out their sick people and just put them on the ground just so he's shadow. And guess who wrote 1 and 2 Peter? He didn't write John. One and two, Peter. Do you know what? I actually think that unless he allowed Jesus to wash his feet, then wash his feet after he denied him, I assume even in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, when he came to pray for people, when he came to preach, I'm sure he would think, I can't do this. 
I can't do this. After what I did, there is no way that I can do this. But God is so gracious, isn't he? He's so gracious to give us a fresh start. And he was so important. You see, I don't think that Jesus only washed Peter's feet then, and figuratively speaking, washed Peter's feet after he denied him. I'm sure that throughout his life, he learned that Jesus needed to wash his feet. He needed to receive the full extent of God's love on many, many, many occasions. You see, even when it's going well, we can think, oh, we've blown it now. And it's not as if we do it negligibly or negligently, but these things happen. So here we have it, and I think it's a wonderful account that's in Scripture for us. Jesus sets this incredible example. He trains them for leadership, and he says, You do not realize what I'm doing now, but you will understand. You are already clean. But there's times when I'll show you the full extent of my love. There'll be times when you need to let me wash your feet and to move you forward. Now, in a moment, we'll pray, but we're just going to show a short DVD clip that uh, Angie's going to put on for us. And it's kind of surrounding this kind of thing, this kind of story of uh, Peter denying Jesus, and it's simply called Grace. And then we'll pray together. Thanks, Angie. Grace is God's unmerited favor for us, his crazy love. And the truth is, many times we struggle understanding it. If you find yourself struggling to understand God's grace, don't beat yourself up. Even the disciples struggled with understanding grace. Jesus, is that you? You're alive. I can't believe you're alive. Okay, I was in the boat and I wasn't catching any fish, okay? But I heard this voice and the voice said, cast your net to the other side. And so I'm thinking, I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing, but I'm not catching any fish, you know? And so I throw that net over there and then a gaggle of fish pop into that net and I'm going, this is a total miracle. Who could have done that? I need to know who told me to throw the net to the other side. And boom, I look up and I mean, there is you. You're looking at me on the seashore going, it is I, the Lord, and you're alive. I can't believe you're alive. This is awesome. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on. Peter, yeah. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. I love you. You're alive. This is so great. Good. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on, man. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? I love you. Yes. And I'm so sorry about that rooster clucking. I had no idea what that meant, but I do not. I'm better for it. All right. Okay. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, I'm smiling, but I'm serious. Come on, get out of the boat. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Jesus, mere words cannot describe the passion that I have for you. I love you. You know everything. I love you. Good. Good. Then feed my sheep. I didn't even know you had livestock. That is so like you, though. There's something new about you all the time. That's what I love about you. Peter, Yeah. do you remember uh, the morning the ladies went to the tomb? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all in the upper room trying to figure out what to do next, you know, because we thought you were dead. You know, you were dead, you know, and we're trying to figure all that out, you know. And Mary comes running up, and Mary's like saying, beehive, beehive, beehive. And I'm thinking, I'm allergic to bees. Like, keep them out. You know what I'm saying? But as she kept getting closer, I heard her correctly. She was saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And we're going, who's alive, who's alive? And she said, she was at the tomb, and the tomb was empty. And she said that there was an angel there. And the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. And so me and John, we hightailed it down there. And if John says he beat me, he's totally lying, all right? I beat him, FYI, all right, you know? And we get down there, and I'm looking in that tomb, and it is. It is empty. There's nothing in there, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And John is right there. John is so good with words. He should write a book. He is so good with words. And John said, 
don't you get it, Peter? This is everything Jesus said he was going to do, and you did it, and it's done. Let's go. This is so great. Wait. The angel said what? Uh, Go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. You've risen. Let's go. He said what? Go tell the disciples and Peter. to the disciples and Peter. You said my name. Why did you say my name? Peter, that's grace. No, no, I don't, I don't deserve that because that night people kept coming up to me asking me if I belonged to you, if I was with you, and I kept denying you left and right, all right? No, it'll take me my whole life to make up for what I did. It was unforgivable for no, what I did. No, What I did on the cross was meant to take what is unforgivable and make it forgivable. That's my grace. It's not about you. It's always about me. That's grace, Peter. be good to uh, stand together to pray, I think, if that's okay, if you're able. Why don't you join me in standing? We have just got a few moments, and I'm not going to prolong things unnecessarily, but uh, it's good when we allow the Lord to draw close to us. That's uh, his agenda for us. And maybe just for the next few moments, you want to uh, close your eyes and say, Lord, I'm allowed, uh, you know, I invite you to draw close to me at the moment. To demonstrate your love and your grace in whatever way that you want to do that. So why don't you pray your own prayer? You don't have to do it out loud. Say, Lord, just come close by your spirit now. I, I, I want you to draw close. wonderful that he has this capacity to minister to a hundred people in a hundred different ways. Has this capacity to know what we think we need, but also to bring what he knows that we need. And that's the wonderful thing. Just the level of grace and understanding that he has for us. And some on your heart is that, Lord, how do I move forward with you from where I am at the moment? I feel so weary, maybe. So much is going on. Something has happened. I can't really see my way forward. Maybe your heart say, Lord, just, I'm going to allow you to show me the full extent of your love for me. Lord, we do pray that you would. As we're in your presence now and as we go from here, that just grow in the understanding of your grace upon us, your love for us, that you, the King, the Lord, would wash our feet, cleanse us from everything we've done wrong on the cross, but still wash our feet when we need that. maybe within your own mind, your own heart, your own spirit 
this morning you're saying, Lord, I receive your love. I don't think I deserve it, maybe, but I receive your love. I receive your grace. For some of us, we struggle to forgive ourselves. We struggle because other people maybe have not forgiven us, but... What Jesus did on the cross took our biggest mistakes and our biggest failures. He took them on the cross. And maybe this morning you need to say to the Lord, Lord, I receive your love. I receive your cleansing. I receive your forgiveness. Maybe something's happened and you think, Lord, I'm not too sure how to move on from here. I'm so rude about this, so rude about the next two or three weeks, so rude about the future. I just don't know how to move forward from here. And your prayer, Lord, is is to say, Lord, I receive the full expression of your love. Lord, I receive from you. You have a way forward for me. The Lord always has a way forward. So allow him in this moment and for whatever it means for today, for this season of your life, allow the Lord to come and wash your feet so that you can have a full part in what he has for you. Without him, we can do nothing. Lord, we do pray just in these moments that you'd come and you'd minister really gently but significantly. That your power would be made perfect in our weakness. Lord, I thank you that we belong to you. We are clean before you. And you have great plans for moving us forward. Lord, we are in you. And in you, all things hold together. Lord, help us to take hold of this incredible love and grace that you have for us and to soar with you. Lord, I thank you in your word. You said that we can proclaim forgiveness. And some this morning, you might just need to hear those words, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. You can move forward from here with confidence. Lord, we thank you for the adventure of following you. Help us, Lord, to not get too predictable, but to take hold of all these things that you have for us. Help us, Lord, to draw closer to you so that you can be up close and personal. And, Lord, we thank you for each other and give each other to you today. In Jesus' name. Amen.